um, we are going to dive into Nehemiah this morning. And as we do that, um, um, let me, let me kind of remind you of where we were. We, we started a series last week called The Wall. And Nehemiah is this guy. And he is, um, well, first of all, let's start right there. He's a guy. He's just, the, he's just a guy. He's not, he's not super priest. He's not, uh, he's not this amazing prophet who can do all kinds of miracles and, you know, you know, whatever. He, he is just this normal, relatively normal guy. He, we, we pick up this story in a time of Israel's history when they had been carried off to, to Babylon, forcibly carried off to Babylon, and uh, were now in exile. They were not in their homeland of Israel. They were not there in the, you know, to worship God in Jerusalem or anything like that. They were off in a foreign land and had been for several decades. And Nehemiah was most likely born in this setting, in exile, had never even seen his ancestors' homeland. And, um, and last week we hit chapter one of this book and we, we talked about the fact that Nehemiah had gotten a report that many uh, of, of the Jews had been released to go and begin to rebuild their country by a previous king. And uh, some stuff had gone wrong with that. That didn't work out the way they had planned. But he gets a report back from a brother saying the whole place is in disrepair. The walls have been tore down. The nation is in shame. And he hears this news, Nehemiah does, and he is absolutely <coughs> heartbroken to the point that he sits and weeps for days. For days on end, he just cannot stop crying about this situation. He's absolutely heartbroken. And um, he begins to pray. God's really, um, he, he, he makes that step of, of, of praying about this and praying for it. Where, where Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been there where you see a situation, a circumstance that absolutely breaks your heart. And you're burdened for it. You're, you're maybe even weepy over it. And, and you can't quite understand why it's hit you so hard. And as you begin to think about it and, and it just keeps breaking your heart, you, um, you know, your prayers are, turn from praying for the people involved in that situation to praying, God, are you asking me to do something about this? Like, why is it that I can't let go of this? Is there something you you would need for me to do in this? Is there something you would, is there a change that I could make? Is there a, a step of faith that I could make that, that might help remedy? I mean, I'm just one person, but are you calling me to something here? And you, he, he begins to pray through this. Nehemiah does in chapter one, like we talked about last week, he's praying, God, um, you know what I've heard and how it's breaking my heart. And and yet, and he is also praying, I know your word, and, and I know that you said if we weren't faithful to you as a people, you would scatter us among the nations, and that's what you've done. But I also know your word says that if we, if we repent and if we turn back to you, that you would bring us all back into the fold. So, God, we've been wicked. Our whole nation has. We've turned from you. And even I have, and my, my father's house has. He gets personal with it. And then he begins to pray, God, if, if this is for me, if this is some sort of dream that you're giving me to go and do something about the situations, rebuild the walls in Jerusalem, um, then grant me favor in this. Make this possible because I'm just one person. And then he begins, he prays very specifically. He says, um, grant me favor with this man. And then the next phrase is, now at that time, I keep tripping over this rug. Now at that time, 
He says, I was cupbearer to the king. And the man that he's talking about he wants favor with is the king. Now, Nehemiah as cupbearer to the king, this was a, a high up post in the kingdom. I mean, he was an official in the king's court, uh, very, very close to the king. The king at that time was a, a king by the name of Artaxerxes. And, um, and as, as, he is, he, as a kid, I was taught that the cupbearer basically just tested all the food and drinks for poison. And, uh, but it was actually a lot more than that. He was kind of the right-hand man to the king. Like nobody got in and out to see the king unless they went through Nehemiah. He was kind of the gatekeeper, right? He, 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 he uh, kept people at bay that didn't really need to be in front of the king. Uh, he did check all the food to make sure everything was well prepared and that nothing had spoiled or that nothing had been, God forbid, poisoned because somebody was always trying to kill a king back then. And, and so as, as, I mean, he's, he's got this very close relationship to the king. He wasn't just somebody who got to go to a meeting with the king once in a while. He was before the king multiple times every single day. And uh, he begins to look at his situation going, you know, it, while I don't have the power within me to do this thing that I feel like God's calling me to do, I know the one guy who can make this happen. And so this is where we pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah has, has felt like he has this dream. He began praying about this dream back in the time frame of a November, December time frame. And then when we pick up chapter two, it says this. It says, let me get, I got my eyes are bad this morning. I got to pull up my fake Bible. Uh, okay, here we go. It says this, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. And now I had not been sad in his presence. So we go from the month of Kislev in the beginning to the month of Nisan now. Four months basically had passed. For four months, Nehemiah sat on this dream and just simply prayed about it. Let it ruminate in his head. Thought about it. Began to formulate a plan. Prayed over and over and over. I was talking to our youth pastor, Matt, uh, this week about one of the things I didn't mention last week when we were talking about the formulation, kind of the birth of a dream, is how critical time is in the birth of a dream. Um, that, uh, and I, I used, as I was telling him this, I used myself as an example. When Jamie and I were young, 19, 20 years old, going to college together, we were at a little Christian school. Every year, um, they would have a big missions conference. And they would bring in missionaries from all over, and they would tell their stories and you know, show pictures and show artifacts and things and tell about the work that they were doing. And, and, uh, and it was a really, you know, great time, good conference. And I remember the, our first conference when we had, um, uh, you know, gone through, gone through that, there was one woman there that was a missionary from France. And as we heard her tell her story in the ministry that she was doing, uh, we both kind of looked at each other and we were like, you know, cause we were, we had been dating for a little bit and we were already starting to kind of think about what our future might look like. And we kind of looked at each other as like, France, you know, could, could God be calling us to that? And we got really excited about that. And we scheduled a meeting to talk with this lady. And as she told us about her work there, we, you know, we got even more excited about it. And we were like, I think we're, I think we're being called to France. And, uh, and so for a good three weeks, we were called to France, a good three weeks. And, uh, and then after that, it, it felt like, ah, you know, we're not quite as excited about that anymore. It doesn't really, I don't you know, we're not not as passionate as we were right there in that moment. And I remember several months later, maybe even a year later, we went on a, a little uh, mission trip to Mexico. And we went down to this uh, city, kind of down deep in Mexico, where there was a, um, a 
like a, it's like a children's home and a school all at the same time. And uh, the people who ran that home were getting ready to retire and leave the ministry there. And uh, as we kind of experienced that place, a really beautiful place, we kind of looked at each other again. It was like, wouldn't that be kind of cool to come back here and lead this and, you know, kind of help in this way? Maybe God's calling us to Mexico. And you know, we, felt, we felt called to Mexico for a good three months. Like for a good three months, we were like, yeah, we're going to Mexico. And then it kind of fizzled and it was like, ah, maybe not, right? Maybe not. Maybe that's not the thing for us. And as young people, we would kind of jump on everything that we sort of felt. I got to sit down. I keep tripping over this. Um, so as young people, we, we would kind of feel, uh, bur- feel these you know, burdens. And what, what was critical for us in kind of our de- spiritual development was learning to distinguish a burden from a calling. And the only way that you can learn to distinguish a, a burden from a calling is to give it the test of time. To give it the test of time. And Nehemiah could have heard this report about how the walls had been torn down in Jerusalem. And immediately, I mean, he had access to the king. He could have immediately got up, dried his eyes, and gone to the king and just said, oh, this is horrible, and I'm so sad about this, and we should do something about this. And, you know, and, and just kind of you know, halfway put a plan together in his mind, you know, on the way down the hall to see the king. But instead, he sat on it for four months and just committed it to prayer. Now, there have been, there have been times in, in Jamie and I's lives that we have felt burdened for something, brokenhearted over a situation, and it has not, God has not allowed us to let go of that. The passion of, of that situation stayed with us, and we knew we had to do something. But it took the test of time. In fact, the, the same thing happened when we, when we came to, uh, right before we came to Dixon. Phil had called me. Phil Lockwood had, had given me a call. I was in Missouri at the time. And uh, he had, somebody had given him my name, and we had a conversation. It was a fantastic conversation. And uh, began to pray about that. I, I told Jamie, I said, I think, this might, I think this might be a good church for us. And uh, she didn't talk to Phil, and so she was like, okay, whatever. And, uh, and so, but we, you know, we, we, I started praying about that. I had another conversation or two with Phil. And then I just had this overwhelming sense that not now. And so I called Phil, and I just said, um, I kind of want to put the brakes on this. I want you to stop talking to me and just keep looking for other people. And if, it, and if it's God's will, it's not going to work out on your end and he's not going to let me sleep on my end. And, and, you know, we'll figure that out together. But, uh, and so there was a good few months that went by where we didn't talk. And eventually, uh, you know, God began to really give Jamie a burden for Dixon as well. And, 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 and so we, we revisited the whole thing, and, and it was something, you know, again, that through the test of time, God was just not going to let us let go of. Um, and I want to encourage you to, to exercise the kind of maturity that when you feel brokenhearted for something, that you don't just dive headlong into it and, and get excited about it for this very short season and then let it fizzle out. And you've made all kinds of promises and big grandiose statements about what you're going to do. And then all of a sudden, it, you know, then you're, you're saying, oh, never mind. And well, then you got people looking at you going, I thought you just said God called you to that. And, and I think if we're not careful in our immaturity, we can make God look kind of flaky, right? I want to encourage you to kind of commit these things to prayer. Now, there are exceptions to this. There are certain circumstances where I've been out in the community. I see somebody homeless that looks like they're in need of a meal. You can't commit that to four months of prayer. They need to eat now, right now, right? And so there are times when you move now because the the situation is urgent right now. 
Um, but when it comes to things that are going to require a lot of planning, a lot of effort, a lot of time, some changes to your life, some, you know, things like that, some changes to a lot of other people's lives, um, give that the time, make sure, cause, cause this is what we learned through all that. It wasn't that God was like playing with our minds or that we were reading God wrong or anything. We were reading a little bit wrong. But what was happening through all of that and what has continued to happen in Jamie and I's lives today is that what God was doing in us was giving us an immense burden for missions. And we still have that burden for missions today. We love missions and missionaries. We love um, um, encouraging our church to be a mission supporting church. We love supporting missionaries ourselves. We, we love that. We feel I was, I've talked to Nate and I've talked to others. In fact, I've got to meet with our, our other, uh, one of the other missionaries that we support, uh, this week, uh, Russell, uh, Weisner from Malaysia. And, uh, he, uh, we had lunch together and I was just talking about that whole thing. I love that, that, that whole, um, partnership that we have with them. It's not just us, you know, writing a check and sending it off to them. And, and, but I want us to develop a true gospel partnership with those people that we support. And that's why when we do trips, we go in and we, we, we do mission trips and, and partner with those people that we're already partnered with, um, because we want to continue to build those gospel partnerships, but we still have that immense burden for missions and God was placing that in us. Right. And as we kind of move forward in, in these dreams and we begin to figure out these dreams, God has this way of orchestrating, orchestrating our lives in such a way that everything begins to kind of fall into place. And the first point I want to make about this passage that we just read is this, that God uses your circumstances to position and prepare you to accomplish his dreams. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about accomplishing the dreams that God gives us, that God uses your circumstances in your life to position and prepare you to accomplish his dreams. This is a critical, critical point in moving these dreams forward because what happens as we feel uh, heartbroken or burdened for a a person or a situation and feel like God's given us a dream about a a thing, um, uh, what happens is we begin to immediately list all the reasons why this won't work. I couldn't do that because I'm not, I don't know. I'm not gifted enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have the money to do it. Um, I'm, you know, I have other commitments that I got to do. Um, I don't live in the right place. I don't have the right, you know, what, whatever. We've got all these things of why we can't do this. I've, I've got, you know, I've made so many mistakes in my past and God could never use me because I'm so broken. Make this huge laundry list of why it won't work. Meanwhile, could it possibly be that all that stuff that you look back on your, pay, your past and list as reasons why it won't work are in the exact opposite column in God's columns? Maybe he's used all of those failures, all of those setbacks. Maybe he's used that loss of, in, he'll use that situation where you lost income, where you lost a relationship, where you, uh, where your, where your reputation was on the line, where things were happening and it, it was a painful period of your life. Maybe he's orchestrating all of that together for this moment, for this moment. I mean, Nehemiah, he's in this situation where, yeah, he works for the king. He's got access to the king and everything. But he has, you know, him and his family have been dragged off to a foreign land forcibly. Like, like yes, he's got position. He's a contributing member of that society. But he is being forced to be a contributing member of that society. Like, it's not what he would probably choose for himself. 
And Nehemiah could have been this, this guy. Okay, let me step on some toes for a second. There are some of you in this room, and you know who you are. There are some of you in this room that you have walked all through your life and have never let anybody slide on anything. Like you are constantly looking for the next thing to be offended by, the next right to fight for, the next argument to have with somebody. You're just that kind of high drama person that you're like, you you just don't let anybody slide. If anybody kind of messes up your plan or anybody, um, you know, kind of crosses you the wrong way or says something that catches you off guard or or kind of comes across sideways to you, you're not going to let it slide. You're going to say something. You're going to get in somebody's face. You're going to point a finger at their chest. You're going you're gonna to always stand for what you think is owed to you or what your rights are. And you're just that kind of person. You're that strong, strong-willed personality, very aggressive, very abrasive at times. And you tell yourself, I'm not abrasive. I'm just real. I'm just real. And you tell yourself that. You guys keep eyes forward because you're sitting next to somebody who's like that. You know you are. And, and so... You do, you, you're just that kind of person. You tell yourself, yeah, I love Jesus and we got this great relationship. And, but yeah, it's just my personality. It's the way I am. And, you know, we, we got a thing. And, and, but but the, the thing is, basically, there's a word for it. You're just a jerk. You're just a jerk. Now, we all have those moments when we are jerks, right? All of us. But some of you have, have made it an art form. Like, it's just, it's just your natural posture to just kind of be that, you know, just always kind of, you know, you're, you're Jerry, I mean, you're doing the Jerry Springer show with everybody you come in contact with. And I say this to say, to say this, like if Nehemiah had been that kind of person, like if anybody had a right to scream and complain and gripe about his circumstances, it's probably Nehemiah, even though he had a high up position in the kingdom. He could have been like, man, I'm being forced to do this. I've had my land taken away from him, my father's land taken away from him. I, I, you know, I don't have a nation anymore. I'm here. I'm forced to be here. And he could, I mean, he could have been writing, you know, scandalous tracts and circulating them. He could have been constantly plotting. I mean, if anybody had a, a, a ability to kill the king, it was Nehemiah. At any given moment, he could have just ended that man's life. And yet he doesn't. He is just this kind of meek and obedient and faithful servant, not only to God, but to the people in authority over him in his life as well. And for some of us, those bridges that you're constantly burning with people, the day's going to come when you're going to need a favor from them. The day's going to come when you're going to need them because you don't, you, don't, you don't get to live this life as a solo sport. You just don't. None of us do. Every single one of us will reach a a situation where you're going to have to call in a favor from somebody. You have this control over this situation, and I need help in that area, but you call the shots. Can you help me out in that area? We're all going to see that. And could it be that you burning every bridge that you come across is kind of jeopardizing your future in the way that you could effectively serve the God who might be calling you to big dreams and big plans. Could it be that if you learn to live peaceably with everybody else around you, that it would position you to be able to accomplish so much more for God? 
I want to encourage us to be that. I was telling first service that like we should change our logo. It's like Living Hope Church. Just don't be a jerk. That's just it. Just don't put it on all of our T-shirts and everything. Just don't be a jerk. Right? I, there's more to Christian life than just don't be a jerk. But this is why, you know, does the Bible say to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves? Jesus said that. Be wise as serpents. And I think what he's saying is, is like, you know, be, be wise in your dealings with people. I'm not talking manipulative. I'm not talking false or fake. I'm talking ask God to give you a spirit of peace and of, of uh, just the ability to, to, to live well with others. Because what happened in this circumstance that God had placed Nehemiah in, that everything had, well, let's see what happens, actually. Let's see what happens. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. Ver, oh, no, I didn't read all the rest of the verses, did I? I got ahead of myself. All right, I'll, I'll just read a bunch here. Here we go. So verse 2. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And then I was very much afraid, he said, which he should have been. He said, I said to the king, let the king live forever. But why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. All right, so so the king knows. He's up. He's going to ask for something. What is it you want? And so he says, I said a quick prayer. Verse 5. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king, verse 6. And the king said to me, with a queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. And I want to tell you, I think one of the big reasons that the good hand of his God was upon him and that the king granted, because here's the deal. This benefits the king in no way. To send Nehemiah off and give him probably, you know, what would be the equivalent of millions of dollars of resources to go and do this project, to build this huge, massive wall around the city of Jerusalem, to make that country strong again. It doesn't, Babylon, uh, it doesn't uh, benefit the king of Babylon in any way, shape, or form. The king says yes, not because this is in his best interest. The king says yes because of the relationship he has with Nehemiah. He likes Nehemiah. Nehemiah has been a good servant. He feels good about doing something good and granting a request for Nehemiah because Nehemiah has not called up for many requests. And he's, he's able to say, yeah, I'll let you do this. God brings all the circumstances of our life to bear on the callings that he places on our life. He uses, he, he, he hopes that we can use the relationships that we build with people. That's why it's so important for us to build. One of the reasons it's so important for us to build good relationships with people in our community, to have good rapport with the people in our community. It's why it's one of the reasons why our church does so much work to serve and help this community. Why? Because it's kind of a symbiotic relationship that the church has with the community that it's in. 
that they need us because we hold in our hands the hope of the entire world. And we need them because they hold in their hands, you know, oftentimes the permissions for us to do the things that we feel God calling us to do. And so those the relationships are very important. But this is what you can bank on. God's calling you to a dream and you're not sure and you're like, I don't know if this is going to work. You can bank on this one statement, that what God originates, he orchestrates. What God originates, he orchestrates. What dream he's planted in your life and in your heart, you can bank on the fact that if that dream came from him, he will complete it. He will see it through. He will provide the resources. He will make this whole thing happen. I've had a lot of different kind of dreams in my life or goals in my life that, you know, some, some of them I think I can accomplish. Some of them I'm not sure I can accomplish. But what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt is when I feel convicted that God has called me to a certain task, what God calls me to, he won't let it fail. He won't let it fail. The trick in all of that is trying to distinguish the calling from the burden, like I talked about earlier. But what God originates, he also orchestrates. Verse 9. So Nehemiah leaves. He starts heading off to Judah. It says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. And now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Now you need to know this. We're, I'm going to stop here for just a second and just tell you, not everybody's going to be crazy about your dream. Not everybody's going to be crazy about your dream. There'll be some people, even people close to you, who will tell you it's a foolish dream. What are you thinking? Why would you put your wife and kids through that? Why would you put your family through that? Why would you risk your financial well-being in all of that? It doesn't make any sense. It's a stupid plan. Is it really that important? Does that really need to be done? Aren't there other things? I mean, God will give you a dream for, to solve a world problem, and you'll have people saying, yeah, but we got problems right here in Dixon. And I mean, it, 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 not everybody's going to be crazy about your dream, and that's okay. We'll get to more of that later. So um, verse 11, so I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. So he makes it to Jerusalem. He's there for three days. It says, then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. And I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. And then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. And then I went up in the night, (coughs) I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate and, and so uh, returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. So Nehemiah gets up. He, gets, he doesn't go into Jerusalem with this huge fanfare and trumpets and armies and everything else. He just, he just kind of quietly goes to Jerusalem doesn't say a lot to people, spends three days, you know, he doesn't do anything for three days. And then after that third day, he gets up, he kind of inspects the place, 
It's like he's going around this clipboard in, in the dark of night. And he's like, hey, this wall needs a lot of work. This one's completely busted down. It's going it's to take a lot of people, a lot of effort. He's, he's formulating a plan. He's putting together a plan. Of what, what, you know, kind of taking stock of what kind of work needs to be done. This is what you need to do. You need to follow Nehemiah's example and walk before you talk. Investigate before you initiate. Walk before you talk investigate before you initiate. If you just jump into the middle of something and, and like be, be like, yeah, here, I'm gonna, this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do. Because here's the thing that Nehemiah had. Nehemiah had spent four months praying over this dream before he even talked to the king about it. I'm guessing there was a few months that went by as he made the preparations to take his trip. So possibly, you know, even a full year or so went by before he, he made his trip to Jerusalem. And all that time had gone by. He had been ruminating on that dream. He had been praying over that dream. He had been thinking it through, making plans. He knew why it had to be done. He knew how he wanted to do it. He knew all that information. And he couldn't just walk into Jerusalem and say, hey, I got this dream and let's go. Come help me. Because what was there going to be? There was going to be a ton of questions. A ton of questions. A lot of people looking at him like, um, do we really even need a wall right now? I mean, is that, is that the biggest priority? Cause you know, I got, I got some stuff broken down in my house. Maybe we could do that first. Uh, or, or how much is this going to cost? Like where are we getting the money for this plan? Um, you know, do you realize how many people it's going to take for us to build this thing up? Do you realize the resources that we need to get this done? Do you realize that we're surrounded by enemies who don't want to see this happen? Like all these people are going to have these objections and all these questions and everything else. And so before he, casts his vision, he first formulates, formulates a plan. He investigates. He, he, he gets a good sketch of what needs to happen together. I'm going to tell you, when it comes to initiating your dream that God has given you, don't skip this step. Don't skip this step. Get together with wise people, people who know a little bit more about the situation than you do, and, 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 and investigate a little bit. Take a walk around the situation for a little bit. Really formulate a good plan, not just a plan of how to make it happen, but a plan of also of how you're going to tell people why it needs to happen when you cast that vision. Don't skip that step. It's critical. If you skip that step, I'm telling you, I've done this enough times. If you skip that step, it's going to go bad for you. It's just going to go bad for you because you need almost, I can't think of a, a time when this isn't true. You can probably think of something, but I can't. Just about every single time God gives you a dream, he doesn't plan for you to accomplish that dream alone. You need other people with you to accomplish that dream. And if you skip these steps, you're going to find yourself alone. And you can't do it alone. You just can't. Which brings us to the next passage, verse 17. And then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? How? So he's finally talking. He's finally casting his vision. You see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And also of the words that the King had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it. They jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Are you, are you rebelling against the king? And this is so great. Verse 20. 
Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we are his servants. We, his servants, will arise and build. But you, you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Nehemiah is like, you know, he's, he's casting his vision before the people of Jerusalem. These three yahoos start jeering at him. And they're like, ah, what are you doing? Why are you even doing this? Are you trying to rebel against the king? And Nehemiah is basically like, I'm not even talking to you. I'm talking, it's for us. It's for all this group over here. You have no stake in this. Like, mind your own business. This isn't even about you. You may ever have a conversation with somebody like that. Like, why are you getting into my business? This is not about you. And Nehemiah is like, he does this thing when he casts his vision. He casts his vision to the right people at the right time. The right people at the right time. There will be people in your life as God gives you this dream to follow through on. There will be people who will have a vested interest in seeing this come about. And when you speak to those right people and you hit them at the right time and you include them in the planning, you include them in the process, you're not just using them, you're you're partnering with them. When you're able to do that, then you'll see your, your, your dream be, go, go from that place of, is this going to work? Is this going to, you know, or is this going to happen? You'll see it jump to a place of, oh, we're getting started on this now, aren't we? We're at, okay, okay, we, we've done all the planning. We've done all the prep. I've, I've gave my speech. Uh, I've, I've, I've cast the vision. Now it's time to go. Now it's time for, for us to do this. And this is where we jump into the story next week. But for now, I'm just, I just want to encourage you with this. When God gives you that dream, when God gives you th- th- this, you know, call to go and, and, and do this thing that he's placed on your heart, and it could be anything. Like I said, it could, have, it could have a worldwide impact. It could have a community impact. It could have a church impact. It could just, have, it could just be something that just has a, an impact on your family. But that thing that God calls you to do, pray it through. Test it with time. Test it with time and prayer. Get other people involved in the process of that. Spend some time thinking it through and planning and, and getting and, and you know calling in your favors and the whole thing. This is how we roll these dreams forward. This is how we roll this out. I love that. What I love about God so much is that he doesn't just, because he does call us to these things. He calls us to these big things that we feel like are bigger than us at times. And he doesn't just kind of say, I want you to do this and good luck. Instead, what he does is, he, first of all, he gives us like this blueprint in his word to like really see these things through. Like this is how you roll this out. This is how you do this thing. And, you know, is it all going to go exactly according to plan? No, no dream ever does. There's always going to be hiccups. There's always going to be things that happen as we're going to see that Nehemiah ran into. Things will happen. Things will happen to discourage you. Things will happen that didn't go according to the plan that you made. But when it comes to getting this dream from the dream portion, from the dream phase to the time to take some action phase. There's a lot of groundwork that first has to be done. And a lot of it involves God. And a lot of it involves all of us together. And I want to encourage you to exercise wisdom in this. Let's not just jump into things and make ourselves and God look foolish. Instead, Let's plan, let's work the plan that God is giving us. Let's work the plan that God is giving us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us. Such a practical word, such a, 
you know, it's, it's not a big, you know, maybe a feel good spiritual, you know, enlightening thing, but it's a very practical word to us this morning because you call us to do very real, very practical things. You, you, you call us to work that is not always super, you know, spiritual or, um, you know, mystical. Instead, you, you call us to do oftentimes simple but substantial things that make a real impact in the lives of the people around us. And so as we kind of step forward and try to work these plans that you have given us, these dreams that you have given us, give us great amounts of wisdom. And where we lack wisdom, surround us with people that have wisdom. Give us resources. And where we lack resources, give us access to people with resources. God, my my hope is that as we work the plans that you give us as a church, as individuals, that the relationships that we make as we do these things would not just be kind of using relationships, but instead would be pathways for other people to learn about your faithfulness, to enter into relationship with you. We praise you and we glorify your name this morning. We thank you so much for your goodness and your faithfulness. And I just pray right now that you would continue the process of giving the people in this room dreams that are bigger than themselves. Dreams that are intimidating and scary. And give them the faith to know that what you call them to, you will finish. That you will provide what they need to accomplish those things that you call them to. We love you so much. And we anxiously await the day that we can look back, as we already do from time to time, but look back on how you have orchestrated, called and orchestrated these dreams and how by us being faithful to your calling, we can look back and see that our community looks more like your kingdom. Our world looks more like your kingdom because of the work that we've been doing. So we pray as Jesus prayed, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth, just as it is in heaven. We love you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.